Good morning. It's great to be here. I've known Patrick for a bunch of years. He actually, um, he actually took a job I left in uh, north of here. I, not, not actually, but I, I'd left a, a church up in uh, Towson Valley Presbyterian Church, of which uh, they're the church that planted the church that I'm actually the pastor of now. That's why I left Baltimore and went. So I come actually 18 years from your future. To, uh, to tell you, hey, it's, it's going great, and we planted the church, and, it, and God's doing good things, and He's doing good things here. And Patrick and I have been you know, fast friends ever since I met him, and we, have, uh, we get together uh, you know, almost weekly, and we, and we talk about ministry, and we talk about uh, uh, preaching and so forth, and that's partly why, where the genius of this idea came together is during the Advent season, uh, not only are we dealing with familiar stories, but you're often hearing those familiar stories from the same familiar voice. At least that's true in my situation. And so we thought how novel it might be just to get a different voice, a different perspective, a different sort of look. Uh, I'm the guy with the beard, the older guy, he's the younger guy, so we get it a little bit. My church is enjoying a much fresher face than than mine and and certainly doesn't have to endure my my droning tones again and again, but that's partly where where all this came from. But uh, we've been praying, our church, Hanover Valley uh, Presbyterian, um, has been praying for City Church even before it began, we were we were praying for this work. We have a love for Baltimore. A lot of the a lot of the uniquenesses of our church is that um, we planted it with sort of the same uh, a very similar vision as you all to try to reach people who aren't being reached to pe- to reach people in a community uh, to care and love the city to to plant roots to to, to pray for its peace and prosperity, um, and so. When City Church was going to be planted and there, the idea was formulating, we wanted to be in on that at the, at the ground level of prayer. And so we've been very eagerly um, praying and supporting and doing our best to help whatever we can. We have a great love for the city as well as you all do. And we're very excited about your organizational service coming up in just a couple of weeks. And, uh, and uh, that'll be a great kind of celebration. We encourage you in that. And I'd encourage you, um, this, is, this is sort of, uh, again, one of those... Um, privileges I get whenever I go to a different a different church with a different pastor is to tell you what a great pastor you have and I'm sure you many of you know that but he's even better than you think (laughs) and I just uh, encourage you pray for him encourage him and uh, and celebrate him you've got a great opportunity to celebrate that coming up in January when you have your organizational service so I just encourage you Patrick is a is a one in a million and uh, and um He loves his city and he loves you. Good. Today we're looking at the third piece of a series that uh, Patrick and I are doing simultaneously but in different places. Uh, Two weeks ago we looked at um, different elements of the season which our culture celebrates at Christmas. They celebrate at Christmas around, you know, around the world. We celebrate Christmas as a, as a uh, giving season. It's the time to give. It's the time to, you know, to uh, celebrate others and to give away your gifts. And then last week we looked at the idea that, uh, that Christmas is not always um, the most joyous of occasions. Sometimes it brings up, uh, the holidays tend to magnify whatever pain exists. It's not necessarily that it creates new pain. It just puts a magnifying glass on whatever suffering you're dealing with. And see, even from the days of Jesus' birth, there were, there were hundreds and thousands of young, young couples who the coming of Jesus did not mean a good thing in that day and age. And then today, we're going to look at the idea that 
that uh, Christmas, it's a, it's a time not just, if it's a time for giving, it's also a time to receive. Um, I don't know about you, but I often remember Christmases. We were talking with my family um, a couple of weeks ago, and we began to get nostalgic, and we're talking about, okay, Christmas this and Christmas that, and do you remember, what do you remember about your Christmases, my mom would ask us. And I say, well, I don't remember, you know, all the traditions, and I don't remember all the details, and I don't remember the years in terms of how it marched out, but I do, I remember Christmases by the thing I got. Do you remember, do you, is that the way it is with you? I remember the year I got an orange bike. I remember the year I got a Polaroid camera. I remember the year that I got a, back in the day, a stereo Wi-Fi system. They don't call call them those anymore, but I remember getting a stereo and a turntable, and the Oak Ridge Boys were the big thing, and I was listening to that on my stereo. Forgive me for the old references, but um, we we remember the season by what we were given, and the gifts... The gifts, you know, my, my parents were asking us, you know, how, how was Christmas? You know, how, how was your life? How do you remember it in those years? And I go, you know, I think, we were, I think we were poorer than I imagined, but I never remember wanting for anything. And I remember always getting the one thing that I wanted to get at Christmas each and every year. Christmas is a time to receive. It's a time where gifts are meaningful, where, where, uh, where we give and we receive in that process. Even there's a... Uh, uh, Ruth, uh, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, uh, in a book she wrote called The Promise of Christmas, she says, this is Christmas, the real meaning of it. God loving, searching, giving himself to us. Man needing, receiving, giving himself to God. Redemption's glorious exchange of gifts without which we cannot live, without which we cannot give to those we love anything of lasting value. This is the meaning of Christmas, the wonder, the glory of it the giving and receiving. So this morning, we're going to look at that in the life of Mary, which we've already heard a little bit about, but we're going to look a little bit more in depth. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she is, uh, and, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you might be with us this morning or be in our thinking, uh, educate our minds, and be in our hearts and our emotions that you might, Father, captivate our hearts. And Lord, be in our decisions, in our activities, that you might yield our will 
to the gospel, to the grace that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good. My wife and I have this ongoing um, conversation about driving. Um, and I tell her there's two kinds of people in this world. There are accelerator people and there are brake people. And the difference between the two is that brake people solve all their driving problems with the brake. And accelerator people are the people who, who solve most of their problems while driving with an accelerator. One is more the controller and one is more the adapter in that process. And so my wife tends to be a brake person. So when I'm sitting in the passenger seat next to her, she's always making the wrong choice. I, on the other hand, am an accelerator person, and I can, I can navigate through this, and I can get there faster, and I can... The problem with being an accelerator person is that there are consequences to, those, uh, to, the, to that particular lifestyle. And I don't know about you, but when I'm driving down the road, and, uh, and uh, I discover, especially, you know, holidays, I discover that there's a police officer behind me, how do you respond when that happens? With me, when I see that there's a police officer behind me, I suddenly, I tense up, and I, and I start, you know, checking my gauges, making sure, are we, what are we doing? And I have this sense that something's wrong and I'm going to get pulled over. Now, why is that? Because generally, when police officers show up, they're not there to say, hey, have a great day. You know, they're not there bringing gifts to you. Well, they do give you things, but it's not really a gift. They're giving you something so that they can take something. And so um, when, when suddenly the, the police officer shows up, I'm filled with a sense of dread and a sense of fear and a sense of, of rigid and a sense of... Uh, um, because innately, internally, I have the sense that I've done something wrong. They don't bring a sense of, you know, they're, they're here to, what, what, is their, what is it? To serve and protect. To serve and protect. That sounds good stuff, right? But so I should feel, shouldn't I feel thrilled when, they, when they're there? They're, I'm, I'm being served and protected right now. This is fantastic. Not really. Not really. There's a sense of that. The reason I share that is there's a sense of that when Mary, when Mary is approached by God to be given the greatest gift of all history, her first instinct when receiving the favor of God is not Oh, goody. Her first instinct is to be troubled, to be confused, and to be in fear. What does it feel like when you receive the favor of God? When you get a gift of God's grace, what does that feel like to the human condition? In Mary's case, and I think she's exemplary of everyone's case, is that it, it's She's filled with, it says that her heart was troubled. She began to wonder, and then the angel says, don't be afraid. So it's uncovering three very uncomfortable emotions when God has come to give her a wonderful grace. God has come to give her this gift and to say, I'm going to use you in a way you never imagined. I'm going to give you something that you could never deserve. I'm going to, I'm going to bless you in a way that you could never merit. And yet, fear, confusion, Anxiety in each of these situations. And that reaction, not only is it, I think, 
human, not only do I think it's what we all experience when we come in the, into contact with the, with the divine, with, with God's grace, I think it's also one of the things that makes me believe that the Bible is real and that the story of Christmas is not a fairy tale. Because here's why. If this were a fairy tale, if somehow a bunch of guys got together and made it up in order to bring hope to a world, you don't include stories where your chief, one of your chief characters doesn't react well to the other chief character. So Mary is about to have this great event occur in her life. Jesus is about to come on the scene and the author is describing this And in a myth, it would have been understood, everyone would have received it positively. Everyone would have been, it would have been the high point of the story. But in this instance, Mary expresses doubt. Mary says to the angel, um, are, you, are, you, are you certain about this? How can this be? I'm, I'm having trouble believing what you're telling me because I'm a virgin. This can't happen to me, as you say. I can't have a child. We haven't gotten married yet. We're, we're still in the process. Mary expresses honest skepticism and she leans into that. The feel of God's favor is not immediately sort of naturally positive. And the reason that is is because our hearts are allergic to God. Our hearts are allergic to His grace and to His, and to his, uh, and to his favor. Because we innately, as I, as, as what, like I said, when I'm driving down the road and the police officer comes up behind me, I am, I am immediately filled with fear and anxiety as much as you are because innately I believe myself to be mostly in the wrong. Same thing happens with God. Is that when God approaches me, when God approaches any of us, there's an innate sense something's wrong, I must have done it, and, and the only way, and, and, and if, God, if, God is, if God wants to come into my life, it must be to condemn me. It must be to exact vengeance. It must be to get payment for something that I've done to him. So when he comes into my life, when he comes into Mary's life, and he wants to give grace, he wants to give favor, he wants to smile upon his people, that, that goes counter and paradoxical to my own initial sense. The thing that we notice in this passage, one of the things that's pretty chief noticing in this passage, is that Mary's not looking for God. Mary's not trying to reach up and find God, reach up and have some interaction with Him. Earth is not reaching to heaven. Heaven is reaching down to her to engage her. God comes to her without being invited, without being asked, without being given permission. That's, all, that's always how God operates because even in the book of Romans, Paul, throughout the Scriptures we hear no one seeks for God. No one wants to have a connection with him no one's even thinking it doesn't dawn on anyone by their own by their own creative abilities by their own sense of desire no one is trying to reach for god if in fact you or i have a sense that we want to have an an encounter with god god has already invaded our hearts and changed us to want him mary wasn't looking she's probably 13 14 15 year old girl and God comes in. There's nothing particularly, there's nothing in this passage that suggests that Mary was better than anybody else. When it says that she has found favor with God, it doesn't mean that 
she was favorable. It just means that God took his favor in an unmerited way and placed it upon Mary simply by the love, by the grace, by the character of his own will. He reached down to her and gave her favor. It's a status. It's not something she worked up in her own soul. It's not something that she, that she developed and merited and, and, and she wasn't holier. She wasn't without sin. She's a, she's a 14-year-old girl who's betrothed to be married and God reaches down into her life, probably, probably a very poor family. She reaches, he reaches down into her life and gives her a status she could never earn or deserve, the status of being favored by God. Now, when you get that status, like we said, Mary's initial reaction is, this can't be. How can this be? I'm troubled by this favor. He's, she's troubled by it, because you can't earn something like that and when you get a gift you can't earn you ever been to a christmas party and you got a gift and nobody and you didn't bring one for the person who gave it to you how's that feel initially it feels a little uncomfortable because you're going wait there's there's this sort of quid pro quo thing that operates in life is if i get something i should have to give something there's a sense where i need the scales to be even that's how the innate heart the human heart operates grace doesn't operate by that innate human heart experience grace is unmerited favor that god gives us without having anything in return but yet it's an uncomfortable reception it takes some getting used to. It takes some getting, it takes some experiencing on a regular basis to, to realize, okay, I don't have to earn this. I don't have to deserve this. To have to earn a gift you can't ever earn, to have to earn a gift that you can't ever deserve only leads to a life of amazing fear and anxiety. As many of you have probably seen uh, years ago the movie Saving Private Ryan. It's a great movie. Um, one of the first movies that, that I saw that really made, that really made uh, war um, and that kind of conflict very vivid and, and very um, palpable in such a way. At the end of the movie, the person they're saving, Private Ryan, in the final gun battle, Captain, what I can't remember his name, the uh, Tom Hanks character, in the end, as he's dying, he grabs hold of Private Ryan and says, earn this. Then we flash forward to Private Ryan, 60 years later, an old man in the cemetery where his, where his savior was buried, where the captain who saved him was buried. And he's kneeling at the grave in tears. And he stands up to his wife, trembling, and says, have I been a good man? Have I done enough? This man had lived his entire life, the fictional character, had lived his entire life trying to earn a gift he didn't deserve. And it didn't lead to freedom. It didn't lead to, to joy. It led to fear, anxiety, dread. And in the end, he had no confidence in his, he had no confidence in his credibility. He, he turns to his loved ones. He's, he's surrounded by his family. He turns to his loved ones and without certainty in his own heart, he doesn't know what kind of man he is. He has no identity because all he was doing was earning a gift he couldn't deserve. That's why God's grace is counter to that. Completely flips that upside down. It's a grace that cannot be earned, cannot be deserved, cannot be merited and simply is 
to be received as Mary does in the end of the story. The only, the only, in the end, the only logical, the only compassionate response to the grace of God is to say, okay, may it be to me as you have said. Even though, even though she doesn't understand it all, even though she doesn't get it all, even though it's a little troubling to receive a gift that you don't deserve, to, to be given this amazing power, she, the, the, the feel of God's favor can sometimes be fear and dread and uncertainty. But the result of God's favor, did you notice the result in the passage? The result of God's favor in this passage was she was going to experience the power of God in a way that had never been experienced. She was going to experience the the Son of God, the translation of the divine into the human. She was going to be. She was going to give the world a gift that that could never be that could never be uh, outdone. That she was going to be the vehicle, the bridge through which the grace of God would be translated into this world, and our sins would be forgiven. The power to change, the power to transform a culture. That's the one side that is the result of God's favor. When God comes into your life, when the grace of God comes into your life, it's to transform, it's to enliven, it's to be, it's to be gracious not only to you, but also to the people around you that God wants to, he, whenever he impacts a heart, whenever he lands in a human heart, that ripple ripples out in the person, but then that person ripples out into a culture to change the world for the better, to heal the broken, to overcome the difficulties, to to transform and seek the peace and prosperity of a city, which we've already talked about. But that's only one side of what the result of God's favor is. The other side of the result of God's favor is in a human earthly context, it, it's going to more than likely lead to a world of trouble. 14-year-old girl being given a gift she can't deserve And in a way that the culture in her day, even in our day, would look at and for the rest of her life, she branded the unwed mother who couldn't get it together and her son, the bastard from Nazareth. What's the result of the favor of God? transformative power on the one side overwhelming conflict and and the loss of reputation potentially on the other side because the light comes into the darkness as John says but the darkness does not understand it the darkness does not cannot consume it cannot fathom what's going on and in that loss in that loss of understanding the confusion often ripples into the hearts of the people where God is doing the work. So when the, when the favor of God comes and it leads to a, a sense of confusion, it leads to a sense of, of uncertainty, doubt, the result of God's favor leads to great transformation on the one hand, but, also, but, but horizontally, culturally leads to, to conflict and potential stigma. The response to God's favor is to say, I'm going to suspend my unbelief in favor of trusting in the, in the God who can do the impossible. It's interesting how in this passage, the angel says that 
two women at the extremities of childbirth, these are the two women that are going to change the world. A woman who can't have a child, as it were, coming through, Jesus comes through a, a door marked no entrance, and he changes the world. A poor, young virgin girl, and then a woman who's way beyond who never had children, who was barren her entire life, and God says, I'm going to open this woman's life up to my grace. God, and it's the young girl. You think, okay, well, maybe the Savior should come be born to the older woman. She's got more experience. She's got more life experience. There's a, there's a, there's a whole lot more wisdom in her life, but no, God chooses the, the lowly, the weak, the foolish things to shame the wise. Be careful who you look down your nose at because God loves to take the lowly and use it to change the world. What's the response to a God like that? What's the response in those periods of uncertainty? Mary's response. Okay, I trust you. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to when it, when it comes down to, to uh, experiencing God's grace. The response to grace is only to simply surrender to surrender to it. Not to turn off, not to turn off your intellectual questions, not to not to, to squelch, to, to 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 push down the doubt and the fear, but to confront your doubt, to confront your your skepticism, to confront your fears, and to bring those to the Lord honestly. That's what Mary does. Mary takes her fear, takes her anxiety, takes her uncertainty to the Lord directly and says, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. And the, and the angel gave her answers to her difficulty. And ultimately, it comes back to the character of God. The, the ultimate answer is God and his character, and there's nothing impossible for him. Can you trust in a God who wants to love you, wants to give his life for you, wants to change you through the impossible working of his power? If you can trust him, rather than your own senses, if you can trust Him and surrender to Him rather than to your own cynicism and, and your own fears, living by faith rather than fear. That's why the opposite, of, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. I'm afraid to surrender. I'm afraid to remove my sense of confidence from my own abilities to put it on the grace truth, holiness, greatness of a God who's has, who has proven again and again that He loves me. That everything He wants to do for me is to transform me and to make me a new creature, to fix the brokenness that I've made in my own life. Can you trust in a God? Even though you don't, even though you don't get it. Even though you don't understand it. When God comes into, you know, um, recently in our family, uh, we've had a rather tragic fall. Um, a number of months ago, I lost my, grand, my grandson. Uh, he died at childbirth. And uh, this was the grace of God. This was God operating in my life in a way that's very, that's very uh, it, it causes a great amount of anxiety and fear and uncertainty. And we're still dealing with some of that. But what it comes down to is that when you're faced with with God and His operation in our lives in ways that we cannot understand, it comes back to the character of God that is the only answer. The power of God, which is the only answer. Can I surrender my uncertainty about what happened in my life? Or do I need answers in order for me to trust in a God 
who is going to do amazing things that I can't understand. If I need answers, then I'm only trusting myself. If I need certainty, I'm only trusting myself and my ability to understand. But, in a world where there is no certainty and there aren't always answers, what comes down to is, can I, do I trust, can I, can I surrender my heart, my life, my, my, the operation of, my, of this world to a God who has proven that He will give me His best and that He loves me enough not simply to be willing to die, but actually die to keep me out of harm's way. That's the story of Christmas. That's the gift that can't be earned or deserved. Let's pray.